This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's brilliant to be here with you as always. And I'm joined by one of Adelaide's South Australia's greatest sons, Paul Bindig. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you, David. And as always, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And we're going to talk about one of Adelaide's other greatest sons in a minute, which is our guest. But before I do, I just wanted to cover a couple of things. Firstly, I've been remiss over the last few shows in not giving shout outs to our uh, sponsors. So we've got a couple of very valued sponsors that help us bring out this podcast. So I'd like to thank 20books.com, an online Australian bookshop. Uh, we also have three silver sponsors, the Core Chrome User Group. Thank you, Greg, uh, who runs a brilliant group there. And I know I've mentioned Greg uh, a few times before. And also the musicplayer.com forums. Um, both Paul and I are members of those forums and have a ball on there and highly recommend musicplayer.com. Um, so there's links to the websites uh, for each of these in our show notes, either on the website or on the YouTube video description. So thank you, sponsors, for your support. And also you out there that listen and watch us each and every time, we can't thank you enough and we'd love it if you are watching on YouTube, if you could click on the subscribe button and the little bell so you get a notification each time we release a new episode. Now, as far as giving love back to people that support us, Paul, we've got a bit of an idea. Tell us about our little scheme around T-shirts. Yeah, so I don't know. Again, for those who are watching us, I don't know if it's become apparent, but uh, I'm wearing a, a band T-shirt. Now, this, this is actually my party band, Fingerbun, but I'm not that interested in uh, pimping my own party band on the podcast. And David, as you can see, is wearing a Midnight Oil And sadly, I'm not a t-shirt. member. I'm definitely not a member, sadly. Well, only because I haven't asked you yet. I'm sure that invitation is coming around really <laughs> yeah. soon. So, so today we thought we'd wear band T-shirts, which is a bit of fun. But what we want to do is this. If you are listening to this podcast or watching it and you would like us to pimp your band on the show, all we ask is that you send us a T-shirt and we will wear it on the podcast. I'd much rather wear your T-shirt than mine. And you might be saying, hey, Paul, is this just a way of scamming a few free T-shirts? Yeah, it probably is. But in addition to that, let's promote. And what we'll do, if you you send us a T-shirt through uh, each to wear, We'll give you band. Tell us, you know, uh, write a couple of paragraphs about your band. We'll 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 tell the listeners about it. Doesn't matter what the band is. Doesn't matter what you do. We don't mind as long as there's no really rude or offensive words on the t-shirt. I think I think we'll be happy with that. What sort of shirt sizes should we be asking for, David? Oh come on, Paul, that's cruel. Is that uh, is that? Well, uh, you, you, I'll do the the fat one first. Then um, a two XL, please. <laughs> 
And and I'm a I'm a small or a medium, so uh, either of those would be good. I'm only a scrawny little bloke. Just but yeah, hope, look, I ne- hope I never fall on you, Paul. <laughs> and then to be fair, D- David is is a, a very tall man too, so it's not apparent on on this this uh, screen here. But how tall are you, David? Uh, six foot three or 190 centimetres. So he's a tall lad. So, it, you know, not a fat bloke. No, he's that was wide. Big... So that was wide. Yeah. You want my height, did you say? <laughs> so big, A big strapping man. But, yeah, look, we'd love to promote your band. So, yeah, send us send us through the young, send us through the shirts. We'll, and we'll happily say a few, a few words, let us know about what you're up to. And, and that way the listeners who, who aren't, you know, because we appreciate some people just like to listen while they're driving in the car. They'll get a bit of info about what you do as well. Why not and, a little and, bit of fun and, and let's, yeah. And a, a little commitment I can give to those that are wondering if this is just a scam to get more T-shirts. As Paul said, look, we're always up for more T-shirts, but <laughs> it, it, we, we will wear them on one show. And I do have some contacts with a local homeless organisation that are always after good quality clothing, including things like um, T-shirts and stuff like that. So I'll happily um, donate, wash and donate good quality T-shirts that go to, to a better cause. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if you, I'm not sure about your your wife, David, but if you knew mine, the last thing she wants is me to start collecting thousands of more yes. fan t-shirts because I've right. got plenty. Um, but no, it's it's really just let, look. Let's just help each other out a bit. So we, we'd love to promote you and your band and what you do. And you know, the, the podcast is going from strength to strength, and the listenership continues to stagger us every every week. We're we're humbled by that. Yeah. So uh, enough said about that. Thanks, no, much, much appreciated. And for those that can't be bothered listening at the end, the to, to best way to contact us is editor at keyboardchronicles.com or even if you just DM us on the Facebook page, the Keyboard Chronicles, um, that'd be great and we can work something out. So it's then great to introduce our guest for this episode, Mr. Dave Ross. So for those of you that have been browsing YouTube over the past three years, and if you like Paul and I, you love watching a good a cover band video, you would have been hard pushed to have missed Hindley Street Country Club or HSCC for short. Now, uh, we'll talk lots more about HSCC with Dave, but Paul, I reckon it'd be arguable they'd be the most well-known cover band in the world, aside from the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah, well, I won't go there with the Rolling Stones. I'll leave, I'll leave you one out on that one. But I actually would say they probably are the most well-known cover band in the world by, by virtue of the literally millions of views they get on their, their incredibly high-quality covers. And what I would suggest is if you, you haven't heard of Hindley Street Country Club, before you listen to this interview, just jump on YouTube um, and look them up and there'll be a link in the show notes to their YouTube channel. Just watch two or three of their songs or even one of their songs to get a feel for what we're about to talk about because the quality is huge uh, and you can see why they've got the success that they have. So, um, you know, like Paul, um, HSCC Adelaide based, and so we caught up with Dave to cover off his career and the more recent rocket ride that he's been on with Hindley Street Country Club. So enjoy. Dave, a huge thanks for joining us. And it's it's actually a bit of a novelty to have all three of the participants on the call in relatively the same time zone. That's great, isn't it? Yeah, I, I often hear you guys, uh, you know, calling and it's 6 a.m. somewhere for one of you or somebody in America or whatever it is. That's right. No, great to have you. And as we've explained in the intro, we're, we've, 
we're really pleased to have you on and and you've obviously had a hell of a ride the last couple of years and we're going to talk lots about about that but i just wanted to kick off if i could about um just y- y- your early years dave ross the early years what what got you into music you know how did you learn your chops and and kick things off yeah well um so i guess it all you know back where it started with my, my parents were both musicians um, and, uh, and and so I was surrounded by music um, growing up. My my dad was a uh, well that my, that actually met on the QE2. Dad, dad was a band leader. Mum was in one of the floor shows, and uh, you know, hence uh, that just carried on to me uh, loving music and uh, being around all the things that happened. Um, and I, early years, I, I loved the piano. Dad had a baby grand, I just loved playing on that. Uh, and also I was uh, right into drums, so I still love the drums, um, but keyboards kind of like where it went in the end. Um, and um, uh, went through, started, uh, but from early years had a real interest in production. I love production. And so my formative years, you know, uh, 13 years old, um, I started working at a local recording studio. I was listening to all the records that are around, listening to all the bands coming through. You know, obviously at that stage, working recording studio was getting the coffee, uh, getting the tapes because they're all, you know, uh, learning how to splice tape and all those kind of things. Uh, and But at the same time, getting to play on these really cool, um, you know, uh, since of back in the day. You know, we're talking about, you know, it's the Kill Players thing. So remember, you know, the Cork Trident, uh, the Jupiter 8, uh, the Simmons uh, drum kits came in and everything. So at a young age, I had a real hands-on um, on, on that. Uh, that's And that's what started me off and I, I haven't really stopped since then. Um, and that was back in England. Um, and uh, when I was 15, my, my dad decided that it's a... Uh, time to make a change to the family. My mum was born in Australia and so they, they we emigrated out here to Australia and never looked back really. Um, yeah, that's, 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 where it all that's where it all started. Yeah, so it sounds like even by age 15, you already had a, um, a decent hands-on experience with keyboards. Yeah, I was really lucky in that respect. Uh, and, you know, all of that um, and just really loved... Uh, the whole analog thing at that time and, and sound, like I said, um, sound was, you know, a, and as it is today, you know, the sounds are just as important as what you play. Um, and um, and I, I think that um, that can make a real difference between players that get noticed and players that don't, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I, sometimes I think the sounds are even more important uh, occasionally depending on the... On, on the task and the job. So, so Dave, as a 15-year-old being dislocated from uh, the UK and, and coming to Australia, how did that play into, obviously, your musical passion and your aspirations? Did you, did you find it easier to sort of pick things up as a teen here? And then how did that progress into young, young adulthood and the, the start of your career? Um, well, um, I think, so it, I was kind of kid that really didn't bother me because I was the kid who... You know, you know, pre coming out here, I would just every minute of the day I would be in the music room, 
uh, which, you know, at the time at our house, which had the piano, had a, some kind of electric piano my dad had and uh, a bass guitar. So I taught myself bass as well and hence guitar from there. Um, and um, so coming out here, it didn't really bother me. I didn't miss too many friends and I just, uh, I came in, I went into a, um, uh, went straight into high school here into mm. uh, in South Australia, I have a special interest music school. I went to uh, a school that was Fremont High School out north. Oh, yes. Yep. Um, that doesn't exist anymore, the, but the special interest program still does. Um, uh, um, and so there, you know, I was in every single band, there's a concert band, jazz band, the choir, the, you know, anything that was happening there, I was into it. Um, uh, and, uh, but it was always, you know, um, I was always into the, you know, more pop than the classical. They really pushed the, the classical side of things. Mm -hmm. I was much the, the pop side of things. And uh, so, you know, at that stage, you know, bring out some kind of lead shift and I'd be backing all the all the, all the uh, kids who wanted to sing solo songs because I just, off the bat, here we go, let's go. Um, so, uh, and uh, and that was good. They gave me some, some more theory than I had. I'd already done organ lessons and drum lessons and piano lessons and all of those things. Um, and I continued to do that until I, I left school um, and basically went straight into, um, I've done it, I did a bit of duo work around the stuff, a few bands. When I was in school, I was always in two or three bands doing different things. Uh, but then age of 18, I got offered to go um, go away. Uh, I think that was, that was up to Alice Springs, uh, mm -hmm. playing once a week with a, a guy who... Um, was already established in the industry in, in Adelaide. He had a gig up there and he had a cue player. Um, and that was the time when, you know, duos were quite big, heavily sequenced stuff. Um, so I got right into that and we went, you know, supposed to go for uh, six weeks. We ended up uh, going to that one venue. We ended up being that one venue for three months and then another venue. One so We ended up being there eight and a half months the first time I went away, five months. So that, uh, and for anybody who's out there being a keyboard player or any instrumentalist, and I know that, you know, in in some kinds of scenes, you know, there's a thing in the original scene, oh, you know, oh, I don't want to go and play covers, but it doesn't, going and play covers five nights a week for what ended up being, you know, I did that for probably, probably played five gigs a week for at least 10 years in, in different bands going through uh initially that was just duos but then um you know five years later it was it was a trio that turned into a band called um radio gaga which which was um in the you know the mid 90s was playing just about every gig, cover gig and corporate gig existed and we'd spend australian um winter in adelaide and then uh, so summer in in Adelaide, and winter we would end up in uh, in Queensland or whatever. But it was just, it was it was cushy touring. It wasn't one night as it was go play in the casino five nights a week or a resort yeah. something like that. 
Uh, but again, just playing, 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 um, all those things, they just give you some really good grounding on um, you end up, at the end of that, you end up not overplaying, um, which a lot of guys that don't have that gigs, those gigs behind them, they end up overplaying, playing too much. You just play the parts you need to, and that's it. And to this day, that's the most important thing. Find the pocket, play the pocket, and just play what you need to with some decent sounds. Yep. Um, um, and not try and do too much. Because I went from, you know, I did that um, that band thing there until about probably 10 years ago, um, uh, you know, in the live thing. Then I, then I took a bit of a break. Um, uh, from doing that because I'd just done it for 25 years. Um, yeah. um, uh, and amongst that, so that, you know, that's the, the playing the gigs every week, but then amongst that there was lots of other stuff going on as well. Um, so uh, did a lot of production for radio. Because I was so much into the, 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 the sequencing side of things, I had a, um, I had a really down pat, uh, using sequencing with a live band, but not letting the sequencing take over. Doing as much as you can live, but you know, but using the sequence to just give you all those production elements that people are used to hearing when they hear those songs because yep. they're produced. Um, uh, you know, from the eighties onwards, everything was so produced. It's just not really possible to um, produce all those. Uh, sounds live uh, with a small outfit and you had a small outfit because you wanted to be able to make some bucks that's so right yeah yeah four-piece bands about as far as you could go you know bass drums guitar and i played keys uh and sang i was the lead singer um with the uh the headset and the keys car um so i could be the front man and uh, and do all of those things but uh, yeah uh, uh, but use the technology to um, um, just just enhance, but not take over. Yeah. Didn't yeah. never recorded backing vocals. It was also it was always percussion. It was always in control of the effects on the vocals, the effects on the guitars, and all that kind of stuff. So, Dave, let's dig into that a little bit more. I mean, I, to use a, a very obvious Beatles analogy. You, you had your Hamburg moment there in Alice Springs where you spent months playing covers and, and was really a baptism by fire then spent by the sound of a lot of years after that d- doing lots of it. What were the big learnings for you and what were some of the highlights of, of either bands you played in or people you supported? Oh, so that's, I mean, that's a, another thing. So over the, uh, over the years doing those touring and stuff, there was lots of, um, um, lots of moments where you, you played with, you know, different guys who are touring through, they might get up and sing a song or whatever. Um, but um, when I uh, when I stopped doing all of those covers gigs and I gave myself a bit of a break, uh, I then got was getting calls to do more one-off things. Um, and there was a couple of bands um, here in Adelaide that um, uh, Adelaide's a destination for love the acts the go around, especially the, uh, the of the older acts, um, who would um, they would pick up a band in in South Australia when they came through. So they might come for the weekend, uh, and you go and do three or four dates with them over the weekend. You would get the list of songs. You do 
one or two rehearsals with the band without the the act. Uh, the acts would turn up on the Friday, you know, the Thursday or the Friday. Uh, you'd, you'd have a run through maybe at Soundcheck, you'd top and tail stuff. Um, and then you'd go and do four shows. And you'd, um, uh, so there's a range of, range of acts that happen with, um, so, uh, you know, some big guys like um, uh, Russell Morris, uh, Wendy Matthews, uh, Jim Keys, um, uh, Swanee, uh, Swanee too. So Swanee was in town for, um, uh, he lived in Adelaide for a couple of years, so I played in his band for a couple of years. Um, uh, but, and then, you know, there was one-off shows, there might be some, uh, you know, an Easter appeal or something like that. And so we do think there might, you know, Gemma, Joe Camilleri or Kate Sobrano or, you know, acts like that would come through and you'd, they'd only get up and do one or two acts, but so the band would be there to back all these people up. Um, uh, so, so yeah, that, that, you know, that they were, they're always fun moments because they're always, um, you know, you, you might've had a couple of rehearsals and then you're thrown in and, Sometimes the the acts will turn up and go, oh, that's great, but that's not how I want to play the song. <laughs> so the the uh, their management might have sent the you know, oh yeah, just play them like the originals, and the act will turn up and go, no, no, I want you to play them like my band does now. And so there'd be a lot of scurrying to get the phones to listen to latest recordings of of their band in Sydney or whatever playing the song to go, okay, we'll do it like that, no worries. So, um, uh, and you can you can only do that if you've played lots of songs and lots of tunes and, and head, head around stuff, um, but that's always fun, yeah. Yeah, and for the benefit of our, our listeners and our viewers who are not Australian, the, some of the names that Dave mentioned there are absolute Australian music royalty. So he's, he's, he's played with some of the, the biggest names going around. Dave, I wanted to ask you about a, a question specifically related to this, and I'm really interested in your process. So um, I watched you play in uh, a very, very high-end Prince tribute act that came to Adelaide. It's been to Adelaide a couple of times. Oh, they, man. Yeah, well, they... they, they, they that. Yeah, well, again, to the, for the benefit of our, of our listeners and viewers, the, this really, really good, very high quality, very accurate Prince tribute came to play at one of the, the bigger music venues in, in Adelaide. And, and Dave and I, as we discussed in the intro, Dave and I live in the same town. And so I, I just went along to this gig to, to watch the band. And um, what I didn't realise was that you were not a regular member of the band. And the only reason I knew this was because the lead singer announced this fact and said, look, our regular, yeah, our regular keyboard player couldn't make it. Uh, for, I think he was ill or so. I can't remember the reason. Yeah. And he just, he, just, he just acknowledged you and said, hey, you know, and we got Dave Ross and we really appreciate him for stepping in. Now, if he hadn't said that, I would have had no clue that this is what was going on. And after he said it, I was really watching you very closely just to see, oh, you know, how, how's he going here? And apart from the old sideways glance at the bass player and stuff, like there was, you, no one would have known that you, would, you weren't a regular member of the band. So I'm interested in 
how did that come about? And I think for the benefit of all of us who uh, love keyboards and play keyboards, what's the process, the process you go through? Because Prince is super, super keyboard heavy. You know, you can't be getting that stuff wrong. And, and you certainly did it. And as you said earlier, it, it sounded exactly as it should too. So mm. how did that come about? And what did you do to make sure you delivered that high, level, that high standard on the night for the band? Look, I, I, I do have a bit of a process. And like I said to you, when... Um, uh, like I said to you before, you know, that the, the sounds are just as important as what mm. you're playing. Um, so that, how that gig happened is um, uh, a mate of mine, well, it's actually uh, Con, who's actually the bass player from HSC, which we'll, we'll talk about. Um, he gave me a call and went, hey, Dave, <laughs> what are you doing on Friday night? Uh, this is, I think it was Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday. Now it, do, it doesn't hurt. But I'm a huge Prince fan. He's he's the he's the guy for me. I you know uh, just love what he does. Mm. Uh, so um, he's saying, "What are you doing?" Uh, Andrew Sills coming, and he's can't bring his keyboard player. Can you do it? And I'm like, okay, uh, sure. Um, so you know, I get an email list of songs, you know, decent list of I can't remember this, you know, I'm guessing a couple of sets, so maybe 25 songs or something. Um, and in reality, I probably played half a dozen, maybe doodled around on another six or something, as you do. Mm. Um, but I actually, I didn't, I probably only had sounds for two of the songs mm -hmm. on my current keyboard setup that I was using. Um, so, um, yeah, that was a big process. Um, uh, so I listened to the song. Uh, like when I do any, uh, any song, I have a process and it's just got to happen. Um, I listen through the song, write down as I listen through what sounds I need to find. Then I'll go through, you know, this goes to the first sound. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, just cycle through sounds which I think are going to be close. And with print stuff, quite often it might be two different sounds coming together to make one sound. Um, and, and so go through, there might be a half a dozen sounds put together. Um, and often I'll do a, depending on the song, um, I'll, quite often I'll actually score it, um, the different parts. And on my score, um, depending on the part, I'll have different coloured notes um, for the different sounds. And I might have, for instance, the first sound might be a string sound. Um, for some reason, I always mark my string sounds green. And uh, next to it in text will say T2 string. And that T2 means top keyboard, second octave. That's what you're playing there. And then another bit where stab B4, red, it's probably a synth stab down on B4. Um, I, when there's a lot going on, that's, I, I will probably go through and do that uh, map. Sometimes it's for that show. It was fairly rushed. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of in brackets, sim, you know, sim, play similar kind of things. Um, but that, 
it, it's just fun sounds. Think about logically where your hands need to go, what two sounds are going at the same time, um, and how I would split them across the keyboard. And sometimes I do it and it's wrong, and I have to rejig where the sounds are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, initially it's go through, find the sounds, put them in the place you can use them, and then think about um, it's not just dialing up the sound. Okay, is um, where does that sit in the audio spectrum? How forward it, will it be in the mix? How does it need to be wide? You know, if, if it's a string patch, quite often they need to be wide. If you've got a piano patch that's, that's comping, if you just pull it out and um, as it comes out of the program, it's probably going to have far too many mids in it to not leave room for the vocal. If it's too loud to relieve room for the vocal, the engineer is going to turn it down because it's too loud. If you if you if you have that sound, so it's got you know it's got all the key parts of the sound there, but not too heavy in the mids, the sound will be brought up and it'll sit nicely with the with the vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things. So I, I um, and those kind of things happen, and I, and I do a lot of that with HSCC um, as well. Um, uh, so that's. And so the process is I'll get the sounds, I'll go, I'll, I'll do my map, then I'll move on to the next song. I won't even play the song necessarily. I've played all the parts as I've been going along, mm. but I will then, I've, I've put all the sounds together, I've made my roadmap, I'll move on to the next song. And so uh, that took quite a while uh, to do the Prince thing. And then the actual running through of songs and actually playing the sounds, I doubt that I played one of those songs all the way through. Yeah. But I had my map that told me what I had to play where, and I just had to make sure that the two parts that were going at the same time, I could actually do at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great process, Dave. And um, I just, I love the yeah. T2 thing. I, w- I wish I'd thought of that. Before I love the because I'm always getting which octave am I playing this in again? I love that. Yes, yeah, that's killer. And the thing is, is you you do that, but then if I've got uh, if I've got to play that song in a year's time, I need to come back to that roadmap and go, can I read this? Yes, I can. So then I can just I can just turn my keyboards on, look at the sheet, and go, yeah, bang, there it is. It's the it's really useful way to do things and color code. So that's the beauty of today with manuscript. And I just use uh, I just use a free scoring program called Muse Score, um, and it's uh, I get on with it really well. Uh, doesn't have some features of the more expensive programs, but it does exactly what I need it to. Great, no, yeah. excellent. And so, Dave, you mentioned yourself that this sort of applies to the Highland Street Country Club. So let's let's start talking a little bit about that. So we have briefly mentioned what HSCC is in, in the introduction, but just in your words, you know, give it a little bit of an overview of the band. Okay, so it was it was really started as a bit of an outlet just to... Um, uh, the idea is just a, a collective of players... Uh, doing songs that we like. So the Heine Street Country Club, so for those viewers, 
anybody out of Adelaide, Heine Street is kind of like um, for Sydney people, it's the King's Cross of of Adelaide. It's the it's the main strip where all the main clubs and pubs and strip clubs and all of that. It, it's where it all happened. So the Heine Street Country Club is like, you know, this is where all these guys who were, you know, back in the eighties. Uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, we're playing on, on the street. You know, we, we could, there was times when we'd do seven or eight shows a week on, on the street um, in different places. Um, so it's, it's a bit of tongue-in-cheek going, oh, this is where we are now kind of thing. Um, and uh, it's, it's never been a set group of people. Like, that. it's not he's the drummer, he's the guitarist, he's this. Um, there's... Uh, um, it, it's basically um, it would start off uh, the, the two guys one is the bass player um, who uh, I, I worked with a lot which is Con and he's kind of the um, he's the guy who picks the tunes picks the players uh, and um, would pick what, what kind of tempo we're going to play uh, and he would pick to sing to the suit song, guitar to suit song. Uh, and the other guy who started was was the guy who had the studio uh, and and played uh, and played keys on a lot of original stuff. And um, uh, so, uh, and as it went through, he would just invite different people uh, to come and do sessions. Uh, early on, I didn't do all of the sessions. I do sessions now and then. Uh, but at the same time, I was actually working with the, the bass player, Con. I was actually working, um, doing a, um, uh, playing in bands with him. Um, he's actually uh, had a band in Adelaide for 30 plus years called uh, Reggae On, which, as the name suggests, we play reggae, um, which, is which is a really cool, uh, if you want to find, find a band to find the pocket, that's, that's a great band to play. Um, uh, but the um, uh, the whole Heine Street thing was let's let's just do some songs, bring some players in, and release some stuff. And it was just a bit of fun. We went, uh, you know, this song every Friday. Um, and you know, initially, you know, I was on Facebook. Oh, I get a few thousand views, and then um, you know, um, it, it would build and build. And then we oh, we got twenty thousand views on this song this week. That's that's awesome, you know. Um, and then uh, YouTube started to pick up a little bit, um, and um, and then kind of a year. Uh, so every every week, religiously, a song was released, um, uh, and they're all covers. So they're all those tunes that people people our age, um, let, let's say forty to sixty, for it. I'm going to cut a what fairly wide net there for uh, that generate those generations, um, and they're they're just songs that you grew up with and loved, and a lot of the songs when we release them, oh people go, oh, I remember when this song was released. I remember I was in high school. Or I was got my you know on my first date or this. So it really they really invoke some memories in people and and have a feel good about it. Um, uh, so, you know, releasing Song of the Year and kind of it's, you know, probably the fourth year now. Um, uh, so religiously every week and it's built and built. 
uh, and about oh, two, two and a half years ago, uh, it just started to go. <laughs> uh, and it went very quickly to 100,000 to 200,000 um, last, I think last November or something like that, we hit a million, 100 million, 100 million views on YouTube. And we've just recently hit 200 million. So 200 million oh, views wow. on YouTube. And we've got 500,000 um, subscribers to the channel. Um, and um, uh, so we'll release a song on a Friday. And it's not unusual for us to hit 100,000 views in the first day, in the first 24 hours. Um, and um, but we still do what we've always done, which is people comment, people ask questions, and always comment, always comment back. And that's what was a big thing from the early days was when people commented, "Great stuff." We go, "Oh, thank you, thank you so much," because you know, it, you know, you, you got to connect with the people who are into it. And look, mm. you know, it might be one percent actually comment, but it's it's still important those people um so we just did a, a, a concert at, um, last friday at uh, the palms casino um which was sold out uh, last friday and had been for a few months um and a lot of those people there um are people who would comment on the videos and uh, there's actually a Hind street country club uh, fan page and they all talk on the fan page oh yeah we're going to see it at the concert da, da, da. and so when when we're there there's a lot of people there feel like they they know us and they'll come up and say oh i'm i'm tony it's like oh yeah it's tony i've spoken to you on the uh, on youtube on the on the comments <laughs> and all that they love it but it's all about these tunes that people um relate to yeah, and but Dave, I'm going to challenge you on that. It absolutely is a, an absolutely critical component, but I'd argue it has to be about the quality as well because there are lots of cover bands out there. There are lots of people doing stuff on YouTube. <laughs> I'd argue, and I said yeah. this in the introduction, only partially as a joke, you're probably the best-known cover band besides the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so, um, you know, you can argue they're pretty much a cover band nowadays. Like, it's about the quality of the production. I mean, I'm sure no one's thinking that 100% of what you hear on the video is what you've played live. Quite rightly, there is a little bit of post-production. I think in the early days, Dar Darren even did some video, I think, on that. So everything you hear was played live. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's recorded uh, live. Video and audio is recorded multi-track. Uh, and yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a mix on the multi track. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's you've got what you're given, uh, and so you have to you have to deal with that uh, for when you're mixing. Uh, and so and and since uh, since May last year, I've been uh, I've been the, uh, the doing all the mixing on the tracks. So week in week out. Um, Mixing that track, pulling it together, what worked, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, that Tom Mike went down or, or yeah. um, 
oh, there's a lot of bleed in that mic. Uh, and some people have commented about it. Yeah, so, uh, you know, bleed, just call, just don't call it bleed, call it ambience. And how, <laughs> how, can, how can you use it? Don't, you know, you've, um, you've got to be really careful on how much compression you use because it's just going to bring up all that background noise that's there. And a lot of times the mics are placed and not necessarily, um, you know, there might be. Um, so some of my favourite drum sounds that I've done uh, on, on these mixes have been um, uh, where the two guitar amps um, have picked up the bottom end of the kick drum and they're on either side and they've created some really nice, nice ambience. So I'm getting ambience of the kick drum and, and the, the bottom end of the drum kit from the, the guitar mics um, and not, not trying to shy away from that and get rid of it, but actually utilise it because it sounds good. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's where the quality is, Dave, and that's – sorry, and I, I didn't want you to think. I was thinking you'd um, – you know, you uh, drop stuff in after the fact. It's it's absolutely about the quality of the live playing and then the work you put into it to, to get a great mix. And it, it really, really shows. And so, I mean, that has to play a part, aside from the great song choice, uh, mm. in the success of HSCC. Yeah, look, um, look, it's like anything. Um, so the guys who get the calls to do it learn the songs. It's like a rehearsal. If you go to a band rehearsal, don't go to a band rehearsal, think you're going to learn the song at rehearsal. Learn your parts, know your stuff, turn up, and then rehearsals are, you know, our HSCC rehearsals are really easy because everybody, everybody turns up and knows what they're doing. And so we're really just, we're just tweaking. We're not going, oh, can we just run through the solo section so I can play my, practice my solo guitar no, rock up, know your stuff, you know, and uh, what you'll notice on the, on the videos is don't overplay, play your part, sit in the pocket. Uh, wouldn't you turn the shine shine? Absolutely. But otherwise, there's so many elements and, and I'm not sure that... Um, um, uh, people realise how much rehearsal does not go into these videos. So we we literally will turn up. Um, we've been told what the song is key. We'll turn up, and it might be. Yet yeah, we're going to do you know a fairly verbatim, and we'll, we'll do some substitutions, make a change here. We'll do these chords for the sax solo or whatever we're going to bring in. Or it may be, you know what, we're going to completely rework this, different tempo, different feel. Um, actually, no, I don't want a piano. Play a clav. Um, or, yeah, no, can you play something more grungy on the guitar? You know, all of that happens within probably half an hour. And then, you know, there might be a little vocal rehearsal if there's some BVs involved, which probably might account for five to ten minutes. Um, uh, and then we'll might run through a few different changes, but uh, and then we will start start recording. And so it's not 
and then we might do three or four takes. You know, we, we'll end up with two or three whole takes. There might be a take where something goes wrong or oh, I forgot the words or whatever it is. But there's not, not a lot, huge amount of those. Um, but from yay to go, from, from, we, from when we're ready uh, and all of the, the gear is set up and we actually start um, the process, the process from the start to actually we've, we've got recording in the can is probably hour and a half maybe less wow um, and um, so, I'm, getting a bit, I'm getting a bit spooked dave how you're preempting my questions because i'm about to ask you end to end what's the time so yeah that's amazing yeah hour and a half that's mm. what we 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 aim for so we'll we'll go and do two songs um we might rock up for you know five we might rock up five thirty set our gear up and it probably takes, you know, by the time, you know, everybody's set up and all the tech stuff, all the lines are run, checked, and, you know, it's probably 6.30. Um, if we haven't done two songs by 9.30, there's something seriously wrong. So, so da da Dave, I, I saw HSCC's second ever live show at the German Club in Adelaide. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that show only happened because the first one sold out in a nanosecond. So the <laughs> second one was a second one was put on. And, and at that stage, I think I assume the, the band as a collective was still deciding what, what live shows and touring was, was going to look like. Mm -hmm. Now I, I see you're, you're running all around the country with, with various shows booked. And as you mentioned before, selling incredibly well. And again, for the benefit of our, our listeners and viewers, touring around Australia is not easy. It's very hard because you've got a low population base and you've got major centres separated by thousands of kilometres. So I'm, I'm really interested in like, how obviously it's going well in terms of uh, people are very excited to see your shows and, and they're selling fantastically. But how's the process of touring been going and um, what, how, how do you see that developing in the future for the band? Oh, look, I think... Um... You know, live, live is, you know, ideally live is where it's at for us. You know, the, 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 the YouTube it is a vehicle uh, to allow us to tour and play live. <laughs> yep. You know, because as musicians, that's what we want to do. I mean, it's all, it, it's great um, doing the studio stuff. And I've loved, I've done the studio stuff all my life uh, and, and, and ran studios and production houses and stuff. Um, and um, I love that sort of thing, but there's nothing like playing in front of a crowd. Um, we, uh, so we, we, we just went to Melbourne um, and we took, um, and again, if, you're, if you haven't seen Heine Street Country Club, again, this is not, you know, it doesn't have one lead singer and, and, and a set thing. Uh, we've got uh, on tour, uh, to Melbourne, we took three female singers mm -hmm. and two male singers. Uh, plus, um, that's that's uh, plus band members sing as well. So, um, w when you uh, when people watch, look at the video Hunter Street Country Club, and if you've done this, you you'll understand. Uh, we we talk about people going down the rabbit hole because they'll. They'll see one video of some guy singing a yes song, uh, yeah. doing a John Anderson, uh, and then they'll see, you know, uh, next video will be a Barbara Streisand song. Yep. Or, 
Kiss song or it's uh, Doobie Brothers or, but they're all different singers singing these songs. Um, so live we try and, you know, you can only take so many people with you. Of course. Um, and so live will take three, depending on, um, you know, people's availability, we'll, we'll take, we just took three and two. Uh, sometimes we'll take three guys. Um, but then you, uh, we've got uh, drums, bass, um, myself on keys, and we'll have a second cue player as well. Um, and if you if you watch the videos, you'll see that uh, predominantly the other cue player will play all the piano parts, yeah. and I'll do all the production elements, all of the orchestrations, all of the samples, all the, all the bits that go around it. Because um, yeah. again. That's, that's kind of my thing, the production side, I love it. Um, uh, and do that and uh, with a guitarist. Uh, and then we have a percussion player and a sax player. So that's kind of um, what you do. Um, that's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Around. Uh, and I think, um, you know, so doing the Floyd thing, you, um, I'm not sure how many guys you've got on stage for that. Can't be four. Correct. Yeah. It, look, it, it, and, you know, we, we confront the same challenge that, that you guys do in the sense that you can't always take every single person to every show for, for various reasons of logistics. Uh, but you, we, we need to have a minimum of six people on stage to recreate the music properly. Um, so, and, and look, um, can I just say this to all of our listeners and viewers who are lucky enough to be in a position where you can watch Highly Street Country Club live, I encourage you to do it because they are just as good live as they are on YouTube. And we all know hearing music live, nothing nothing is, is better than it. So, you know, grab, grab those tickets when they're coming to a, a city near you. You won't be disappointed, I can promise you. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's great stuff. And, and look, um, it, it's just stuff that people get up. Oh, I love this song. They'll get up start dancing sing along and we encourage that that's, that's what we want you know we want people to enjoy it and there's just bang bang uh, you know uh, i don't think you could go to a concert uh, or or watch the the videos even and get bored because there's there's no samey same if you had the one guy you know you, you'll you'll your friend will go oh you got to see this new band and you go and watch this video and you think, oh, what a great band. Love it. Love the singer. You get three or four, four songs and you go, yeah, it's good. But, you know, it's all samey-samey. With, with HSCC, you kind of go down a rabbit hole where you can you can go a dozen songs in and haven't seen the same lead singer on. Yes, I agree. It's, the variety is what makes it so cool. And the styles are so different too, but it's all really great music. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great experience. And it sounds like the momentum's well and truly there, Dave. And so where do you see HSCC in three years or so? I mean, you, you're already selling out decent-sized theatre shows. I mean, do you have any aspirations of going overseas and, and stuff like that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And there's lots of... Um, there, there's, there's been lots of contact from overseas to us uh, about touring. Um, but you know, with anything like that, uh, you've got to separate the wheat from the chaff. Um, you know, because it's all very well. Oh, you should come to, you know, you should come to our country and play for us. It's like, yeah, that'd be great. Now, have you thought about the costs involved? Um, 
<laughs> um, but there are some real, um, uh, some real opportunities coming our way um, for us to tour um, overseas, um, and um, it, it'll be great to see them actually play out. Uh, and look, this this uh, we we actually had stuff on the cards two years ago. Before COVID came, before we got anywhere near 100 million views on YouTube, um, we had we had overseas interest. Uh, so now that COVID is calming down a little bit, um, and as restrictions ease around the world, uh, we can you know that you know uh, it'll it'll happen. Uh, I'd be really surprised if we did, if we're not overseas in some kind of way in the next year. Yeah. Yeah, and, with and, a short, longer term. Yeah. And, and obviously a lot of our viewers and listeners are cover band keyboard players themselves. And, and if you do go and have a look at Hindley Street Country Club's ticket sales, for example, and you may think this is insane, but we are in a very different era now where high quality cover bands have as much momentum in some cases as, as original bands, if not more, as far as drawing crowds. I mean, you yeah. guys are charging, you guys are charging 80, 100 bucks a ticket, which 10 years ago, people would have gone, that's insane. It's not. It's not doable. Yeah. But the size of your production, the amount of people, the the logistics of what you need to do, it's a legitimate cost, and people are very happy oh, to pay it. Absolutely. Yeah. You 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 take a dozen people across the country. Mm. You got. You know, fly them, pay them to do the gig. You've got to um, accommodate them, feed them all of that stuff. Um, but that pales in comparison of the cost for production and. Um, you know, security, APRA costs and, you know, uh, all of those things, um, you, you know, you, you, could, you could buy a new car for what money is spent before a concert even gets on, the, you know, before you even leave, you can, you can buy a new car. That's exactly right. And um, speaking of huge expenses, Dave, I want to segue to your rig. So one, th one thing that's um, struck me is you're obviously a Kronos man. You're a Korg man, like my esteemed <laughs> colleague Paul here, who's a, is a big Korg fan as well. Tell us about your rig, you know, what you love about it, why you've stuck so consistently with particular boards and so on. Yeah, so, uh, yes, Kronos, absolutely. I've been a Korg man all my life. Um, so I think, uh, you know, the first one in a cover band, so the M1 was it at the time. Um, and I used to, but and at that time I had, you know, I used to traipse around the country, an M1, a, a Roland Jax 3P, a Mirage sampler, uh, HR16, Elisa's drum machine. Um, and I'm sure there was something else, <laughs> uh, all this big bulky stuff. Um, these days, the uh, Kronos is just a monster. Absolute monster! I can do anything, anything I need to uh, with it. I can get any sounds, and and you know, would it be nice to have an actual Rhodes? Yes. Would it be nice to have an actual clavinet? Absolutely. Would it be nice to have a Hammond? God, yes. But it's not realistic. And for you know, the reality is, is that sound to fit in. To the whole spectrum of what we're doing, we just need something that's consistent, uh, you know, uh, repeatable every time. Um, and uh, the Chronos does it, it covers all of that. 
I can load all of my years of samples uh, into it. Um, and uh, I've got a few, uh, for those Kronos guys out there, I've got a few, a couple of VXIs, but, um, uh, you know, it's, there's not too much going on. It's about but using the tool that you've got. Uh, it's, it's so capable of doing many, many things. Uh, there's, not, there's not a tune that I'm, I, I haven't been able to get out of it. Um, on a few tracks, I've uh, spent a bit of time getting the vocoder to work for me uh, as well. Um, I'll, I'll uh, stick a vocoder in any, in any time I get a chance. I love it. Yeah. That's cool. And so a question without notice and one I hadn't planned on asking was the Kronos replacement. The rumours are growing that something's going to be announced this year, early next year. Is it? Yeah. Would, you, would you make the jump early or you'd probably tend to hang back and wait a while? Look, the uh, uh, and I guess everybody can relate to this. That will completely depend on, can I load my Kronos? Can I just, can I just, Take my sounds, my combis, everything that I've done so far, can I drop that into the new machine? That'll make the difference because that's the thing when you went from, when you went from M1 to O1W, uh, T3, um, you know, all the way through to Oasis, you know, nothing was, nothing was interchangeable. You'd have to start again from scratch. And so for a guy like me, I held it for years. I've got a Korg Trident Extreme, which I'm just now phasing out. Uh, I actually believe the Korg Trident Extreme was the best Triton that they released. Um, uh, it, it, for those who know about the Korg Tritons, all of those extra cards, most of them were already built into the machine and it had a <laughs> bit of a novelty maybe, but it had a valve that you could actually use as a, you could actually uh, use as an as a, uh, insert effect or over your whole mix. So you could do all sorts of different stuff with it. Um, but I stuck with, and before that, I stuck with, um, I stuck with my M1 and WaveStation for a very long time um, because I just put so many hours of work into it to then go to finally go, okay, I'm going to go to Core Triton. Um, and now the Kronos, I've got to, I can't just take that stuff I had on the Triton. I have to recreate it now. And as you would hear from what I was talking about before, it's not just about going, ah, oh, you know, find a piano patch yet, find a string patch yet. It's, it's that, that patch that you made and all the effects and all the EQ that made it sit where you're exactly where you wanted to socketly. Um, you, you have to be able to do that, and that's a lot of work. So that's the long, long answer to a very, very short uh, thing is if I can transfer my Kronos stuff, like uh, the Nautilus came out, which is a bit of a baby to the, uh, the Kronos, um, and, I, and they brought it out without Karma and without uh, Aftertouch. I don't know why the Aftertouch thing it seems such a strange thing to leave out in this day and age. Um, but initially you could load your Kronos patches. I think they've just done an update now you can mm. upload uh, your Kronos patches into it. Um, but yeah, that's the thing that's gonna be. And and the other thing is going to be, it's it's gonna 
have to have a big jump to make it worthwhile. Mm. Because right now, you know, what can't I do with my Kronos? And that's a serious question. It's a, that I, I, I've never run out of polyphony because um, everything I do is live. And typically, you know, with a lot of stuff we do, I, I'm running, you know, six or seven splits with effects and EQs and everything everywhere. Um, but I'm, I guess because I'm not using any sequencing and it's just what my hands can play, I guess that's why I haven't run out of polyphony in that sense. Dave, I know you mentioned that briefly. So you're just to confirm, even with your live stuff and the complexity of what you're doing, you're not even having some supplementary backing stuff on top of all the live stuff. You're 100% live when you play. Correct. Yeah. So I actually went, it's it's funny, I went from being the go-to guy for sequencing around town. Like uh, I was known as the guy who, you know, had his sequences like, you know, uh, I went from that guy completely Again, not letting the technology take over, but it was, you know, it was that made it all happen. Uh, To uh, I took a little break, and I don't think I've in the last I might have had a break for three three years. I might have played just a few gigs. Um, You know, started a family. um, You know, your priorities change. You start a family. There's new things happening there. Uh, but I just had that itch to go and play again. And, and so, but, you know, you got to understand, I played five, six, seven gigs a week for 25 years. So I, I, I thought I deserved a bit of a break at that stage. But when I came back, um, I don't think I've done any sequence stuff. I might have done one or two gigs where I did a, a bit of sequence stuff. But essentially I've come back and just played Split all, done all my splits and just played played the parts, uh, and it's uh, it's been great fun. Uh, but it, I also came into it uh, when I came back into it. It was on a play because I enjoyed the playing, not because I was playing Summer of '69 for the five millionth time, because that's how I was earning my living. You guys would probably relate to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think a lot of cover cover artists can, and um, yeah, interesting about about how busy you've been throughout your career, continue to be. And I think one of the blessings of being a, a, a good keyboard player is you, you tend to be quite busy because they're in short supply compared to perhaps some other musicians around. But but I think even by the standards of a keyboard player, Dave, you'd be one of the busiest keyboard players uh, I know of. And I'm really interested on that basis. A question we ask all our guests. What are some of the key lessons you've learned over the journey that you would pass on to other keyboard players? Uh, look, I think that that goes... Uh, the, the first one would be um, musicianship in general. Uh, number one is um, listen. Listen to the band, listen to the groove, you know, uh, don't try and fill too many holes. Just find the pocket, sit in the pocket, uh, and and listen to where the band's going. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the most important thing because it doesn't matter how good a player you are, how much a virtuoso you are. After two seconds of you showing the crowd that 
they don't care. They just want to hear a great song and, and enjoy it and feel, um, you know, feel feel the vibe that a band gives. And that's, you know, when a band plays well, people get a good feeling, they dance around, they move around. They don't need somebody doodling with some sound or, you know, tapping away or whatever it is. Just sit in the pocket, listen, groove, and when it's your time to shine, shine. Um, uh, you know, that's that's probably the the number one thing I can listen listen to the other players. Mm. And, uh, and another one is is I guess another generalised thing is, um, you know, which some some musicians don't get is don't be a dick. Don't don't think that you're great. There's there's hundreds of players that are better than you. Just do your thing. Um, you know, be nice to people when they come up and compliment you. Be nice to other players. You know, don't um, you'll get on much further. It's it's really interesting. So seeing a lot of the um, you know seeing a lot of the guys coming through when you back back these major artists that have been around for years that we talked about. Um, the you know I would say ninety nine percent of the time the guys who have been at the forefront of you know being the superstar of the year uh, whatever year that may have been if they're still around today they're not around they're around today because they they treat people well they talk to you well they treat their musos well um, and most of the musicians who have been with that name band who have done all those things and are now touring with other guys those guys are not going to be dicks they're going to be guys who can get along with other people they'll help other people they'll um you know it 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 may sound silly uh, but you know you guys would have seen it you'll have some guy come through who was in that band once who had that record once and he hasn't really done anything since, but he's still trying to trade on it. He's still trying to go, oh, it was this, and he thinks he's king shit, <laughs> you know. Um, and they're not most of, most of the best session guys around are just nice blokes, the kind of guys you'd like to hang out with. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And Paul and I have often said we get to find a bastard, and I'm pleased to report you're not one of them either, Dave. <laughs> we, we, we <laughs> so... Um, but you, you mentioned being in the pocket, um, Dave. So I'm interested when you fall out of the pocket, maybe fall on your head and break a limb or two. And that's our train wreck question. Have you got a nice technical train wreck you want to relay to us? Oh, so I've been thinking about this. As I said to you guys earlier, I'm, I'm actually an avid listener. So I knew this question was coming up. Um, and I was thinking about it. Um, and so technically, um, you know, technically I've always been, um, I've always made sure that all of my stuff is always as bulletproof as possible. So we're talking, uh, you know, when you put your sounds together in your keyboard, um, 
make sure if you accidentally hit that button or pull that pedal down or push that button, uh, the other button, that all of a sudden a drum track doesn't start or an arpeggiator starts going. Um, or So you just want to lock everything down so that everything you can touch will not do anything to mess with what you're trying to achieve um, because that would be very easy to do. And if you're in a crowd, in front of a crowd of a few thousand people, that would be really embarrassing. Um, so unfortunately, um, uh, uh, haven't really had any technical uh, things go wrong. Now, I say this, but then on Friday, we played at Melbourne Casino. And I had one. Um, and what it was was um, uh, we don't use, as I said, we, we don't use any backings or anything like that, uh, but we do uh, we, we do do a, um, do a song, uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac song, uh, Stand Back, which has got a 16th note, digga, 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 digga. Um, and so I actually gave the drummer a click, uh, not to play to a sequence, but just to keep it in time with the arpeggiator. Uh, and it's been fine all the way through when we recorded it, when we rehearsed it, uh, on Friday night, started the click, banger into the song and the arpeggiator's out. And so it's like two bars before I realised, no, it's not that, it's nothing else but the click is out of time with the seat, with the arpeggiator. And right. so it's like, okay, that's coming off uh, and we'll just, I'll find a sound and just do 16th notes from hand to hand. Um, but, but besides that, I haven't had any, you know, there's been a few, a few things when I was really young. Um, I've been programming my M1 uh, and I had a big New Year's show and the day before uh, it dropped its memory and I had no sounds. And that's the day I learned you need to back up everything you do because I had no backup. So I spent, a, uh, I don't think I would have sat that day, uh, spent a whole day programming sounds for that. Um, things, okay, that's uh, right. they're, they're, two good, they're two good stories, Dave. And I, I, I just think I've thought of one other thing that might get you to jump from the Kronos to its successor. One, that you can transport all your patches across. Number two, that it'll boot up in, say, 10 seconds rather than two minutes in case you have an outage during Oh, yeah. Oh, look, that, that would be... You know, that would be awesome because, uh, yeah, so the Kronos being a computer has needs time to boot up uh, because I've got extra EXIs and I've got my own sample library loading. Um, I'm, you know, I'm three minutes, three and a half minutes. So if I did lose power to my keyboard in the middle of the gig, um, there'd be a lot of silence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that uh, so my rig these days is the Kronos, and I, I'll I'll either take or hire a second keyboard to be my controller keyboard, um, and um, my my ideal situation would be um, would be that my higher keyboard would be a second Kronos with all of my sounds loaded, ready to go. If it went, so, if my main keyboard went down the show would go on. That would be my ideal situation. Uh, but then, you know, 
Kronos aren't cheap to hire. So <laughs> we're not quite there yet. No, exactly right. I, I remember um, having a Kronos's backline once and the, 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 uh, the audio company that had organised the backline for us and set the thing up, the, the cable was taut as that into the, uh, the power socket. And I said, you can't do that. We need some slack in that cable because if it yeah. unplugs, like yeah. you said, we've got three minutes and nothing while I wait for it to boot up again. So, uh, yes, that's probably yeah. their, one of their few drawbacks They're wonderful machines. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, Dave, we, we ask all our guests this. Who would be a, a, a keyboard player that you would love to hear interviewed on this podcast? And, you know, it's great, it's great to learn that you're, you're an avid listener. So, yeah, who, who would be someone that you think, you know, I'd, I'd love it if, if the guys could get hold of this person and interview them? I know, Nick Kershaw. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, a good one. Uh, um, or, or uh, you know, going back to that new remix, um, you know, uh, Nick Rhodes, mm. you know, it uh, be really interesting to to hear them talk about, you know, they were on the forefront of that the synth thing and, you know, the, the way they put that stuff together. Uh, uh, um, who was, you had uh, on the other day, oh, couple of maybe eight weeks ago you had somebody i can't remember his name um but he was talking about um nick Rhodes and how you know not not to write him off as a you know just a, a kid on a with the synth on an ironing board kind of thing oh yeah yeah that might have been jeff down so it was someone yeah i, yeah. I remember that conversation yeah yeah um, yes. no, great, great pick, Nick Kershaw um, and Nick Rhodes. We're trying, we're trying, Dave. He's a hard man to get a hold of. Yeah. Um, all right. And then the last one, um, Dave, that I know you've had a bit of a chance to think about the old Desert Island Disc question five albums you couldn't live without. Yeah. So interesting. Um, and I, I had. Um, I've been thinking about this, but I haven't actually sit down and go, okay, these would be my albums. Um, they would look, they'd have to be um, um, my my first is probably going to be a bit of left center. So it would actually be a Van Halen's Van Halen record. Um, and uh, and probably, you know, obviously. 1984, you know, it's got all of that great stuff on there, jump and that. Um, that, um, or I might even say uh, 5150, I actually loved it. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, it's a, a bit of a Van Halen tragic, really. Um, just love that stuff. Uh, that is a great the, album. Incorporate synths into the rock stuff. Uh, that's, that's definitely one. Um, you know, Stevie Wonder, uh, some of the key of life, was, uh, I guess. Um, that would be another one. Um, I would say uh, uh, there were Bowie changes. Um, that would have to make it. Uh, now Prince. Uh, there's just so much to choose from some Prince. Um, so I would, I know, it's, I know it's not really a done thing, but you know, 
he had a compilation <laughs> compilation practice of the A sides, B sides, and uh, just such great stuff in there. Um, yeah, um, and then probably probably some George Benson, um, you know, give me the night kind of thing. I would say. Um, how is is that? That's four. I think that's four. Yeah, I think you've got one to go. Yeah, look, I I, I would say, you know, and again, something completely, um, probably Thomas Dolby. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of it too. I know the one you mean. It's. It'll be it'll be uh, in the show notes, Dave. I, I'll make sure yeah, it looks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's, I've just lost it. Uh, somebody ate my Buick or something. Um, is that alienate my Buick or is that? Yeah. Anyway, I, the one with yeah. she blinded me with science. I'm assuming on it. Yeah, oh, it's uh, it's um, it's got hot stuff. It's twice as massive. Yeah, it's, it, there's some great stuff on there. You just just out, love it. Yeah, Dolby's yeah. on the Dolby's on the hunt list too. Believe us, Dave. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. Now that that, yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. No, five great choices, and um, look, can't can't thank you enough for taking the time, Dave. I said it's been quite a whirlwind the last few years, in particular for you. And it, uh, I, I speak on behalf of many people, and you see this in the YouTube comments all the time. The difference you've made to a lot of people's lives through a hard couple of years, um, and you, you're quite rightly deserving some success as a result of it. So you look forward to seeing you go from strength to strength, and. You know, maybe when you're um, playing live, we'll, we'll do a follow-up episode at some stage and catch up with you and do a rig tour. Can't beat a good rig tour. Yeah, well, great. So, we're obviously, you know, we're going to be going around the country and um, um, be great to catch up sometimes. Well, there we have it, Paul. Dave, was everything I expected and more? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. and. You know, he was very generous with his, with his thoughts and his time and explanation of his process. That's what I found really interesting. As someone who, you know, I, I think I mentioned it during the interview, he's one of the busiest keyboard players I know, and he has been forever. And uh, I, we live in the same town, but I've never met the guy personally, although I've seen him play quite a lot because he's just that busy. And if, if you're gigging and he's gigging, you don't you don't bump into each other. He's just flat out all the time. That's right. So it was a great, great interview, a lot of fun. And um, I did forget to ask while we were recording uh, what uh, Dave's pick was for his uh, the songs that HSCC have, have played, what was his favourite? I did ask him after we stopped recording and um, Owner of Lonely Heart by Yes. So that sort of fits with a lot of our, our, our recent guests we've interviewed. Uh, would be his favourite. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones was the other one, wasn't it, that I think he mentioned. I feel really bad now if I've got that wrong. Yeah, no, Mr. and Mrs. Jones. So check out both those videos, uh, says David, pretending that he knows who the band is that plays Mr. and Mrs. Me and Mrs. Jones. Sorry, not Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Um, so just check out both those videos um, as, as uh, Dave's picks of his favourites. Be a huge thanks to Dave for taking part. That was a real pleasure. Um, so we'll be back again in a fortnight or so. Um, and just a reminder that we do love to hear from you. You can keep in touch via our website, which is www.keyboardchronicles.com. 
Uh, we're on Facebook as always at uh, facebook.com forward slash keyboard chronicles or on Twitter at the keyboard CHR1. And if you like good old fashioned email, then drop us a line at editor at keyboardchronicles.com. And as we talked about in the intro, if you want us to promo your band or solo act or whatever it is in a t-shirt, just contact us via those means and then what finally if you'd like to become a, an official supporter we do have a patreon account where for the price of a coffee a month you can help us go from strength to strength and that's patreon.com forward slash keyboard chronicles and again a huge thank you to our sponsors that we mentioned in the intro and those that just support us in smaller ways via patreon really appreciated yeah. uh, so paul thank you again uh, we'll catch up in a couple of weeks can't wait. Thanks so much for again inviting me to be part of the wonderful juggernaut you've created, David. That is the Keyboard Chronicles. <laughs> Thank you. And most importantly, thanks to all of you out there for listening slash watching. And we'll see you back here next episode. 